welcome to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple recap and discuss Bridgerton, the Regency Netflix show. I'm Jordan. And I'm Kayla. And you thought we forgot about this podcast, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) We're just super busy. I'm finishing a PhD and... Which she just has to remind you about every Every episode. Every episode. And I swear, I feel like last season I was like, I'm wrapping up the PhD. Turns out PhDs are really hard. (laughs) I'm still wrapping it up. But I'm, I'm really kind of getting to the end now. So the hope is this time next year when we're doing Colin and Penelope's season that we're just going to be like right on top of it. That's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, you know, like people who do this professionally, they have like schedules yep. and, you know, plans. That's that's the dream. And one day maybe that could be us. But today is not that day. It's not that day. We're doing the best we can getting out uh, these episodes when we can get them out. And anyways, we haven't moved on from Bridgerton. We're still in Bridgerton land. We're still recapping and having fun. And I'm sure a bunch of you miss Bridgerton still. And let's be honest, what are you watching right now? Stranger Things? Really? Don't go dissing other shows. We're not a diss podcast, are we? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We've not watched Stranger Things, but I've heard it's good. But compared to Bridgerton, really? So They're vastly different shows. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. So if you have not come across our podcast before. We then what you're doing here? Then what go are you back doing to here? episode one. Go back to episode one. We recap period dramas. Right now, because we don't have the energy or time, it's really just Bridgerton. But we swear we're planning on on doing other period dramas. Um. So speaking of that, kind of what we do in the episode is we talk about some period drama news at the beginning of the episode. Then I do like a very quick recap of what happened in the episode because let's be honest it's been like three months since Bridgerton was out you might have forgotten some things I know I have and then after that we talk about kind of some main moments we talk about kind of the historical implications of things maybe the Britishness of things relationships etc characterization yes the story world that sort of thing and then we wrap up with a history moment where we talk about a historical aspect of Bridgerton so yeah thanks for joining in on the podcast we do have a Facebook group it is facebook.com slash regency rumors with a U with the British U and if you um, would like to join we're kind of quiet in there but I do put out announcements of like period drama news every now and then and people share some really fun stuff like if they've gotten some Bridgerton merch, that sort of thing. So join us in there and we can chat about Bridgerton. So on to the period drama news. So I'm trying really hard not to be one of those people. I'm trying really hard. And how successful are you being? And what type of person? (laughs) I am not being successful because I'm going to go into a rant right now. No, no. The the new persuasion hit and I've talked about it before on the podcast like that it was going to come out and there was going to be two different persuasions that were going to come out. There was one that looks like very legit and it had all the British people in it ever and I was very excited about it and uh, there was a big director tied to it and then there was a fluff one that had Dakota Johnson in it and I was less excited about that one but I was willing to give it a chance. Turns out trailer came out maybe a week ago they have Bridgerton-fied 
persuasion, which don't get me wrong, I love Bridgerton, but persuasion is not Bridgerton. Okay, so first of all, get down off your high horse. They can both be good. One of the, This is one of the key things, and I think we've discussed it before, but when you're a fan of something and they do it in a way that you're not really expecting, it can be disappointing. Um, and I know that a lot of people who are fans of things are sometimes unable to put that aside and are just kind of, they get frustrated at the direction that things go and things like that. I think that's fair. However, I would just try and say to like, withhold all of your feelings that I know <laughs> that you're like, no, just try and withhold it until you see it. That's what I'm going to try and do. It feels like we're in this era now where every female character lead that comes out in a period drama, for some reason, they all have to be Elizabeth Bennet. So they all have to be... It did feel that way. Very um, confident and outspoken and quirky. And that is not Anne Elliot. It's just not that character. And not all of us are Elizabeth Bennets. Some of us are introverted and more quiet. And some of us are introspective. And some of us are very sensible. Not everyone can be Elizabeth Bennet. We don't need to have Elizabeth Bennet in every single period drama which is why kind of in Bridgerton we we do have versions of that in Daphne and Kate and they're great characters and I love them but we need to kind of move on that's why it's so exciting that characters like Penelope are going to be coming to the forefront in new seasons because not everyone is is like that and that's okay and so yeah I I just am having a hard time with this trailer that seems very much like a Bridget Jones type yeah. rom-com then Persuasion, which is my favorite Jane Austen novel ever. And it is not meant to be kind of a, a quirky Bridgerton slash Bridget Jones experience. So we'll see. I'm going to try really hard to, yeah, reserve. Because I, I love the older versions. I have watched the older like 1995 and 2007 version. I, I mean, probably 30 times. So Well, it's, it's interesting as well because the trailer... It seemed I don't have that experience with Persuasion, as long-time listeners will know, but I felt the modernization and the tone that they were going for mm. was just, it was very modern audience. Now, that could be a good decision on their part. Well... It could be a bad decision. It, it, it all depends on how it goes. For me, when Emma came out and... 2020 the way it was done was still so respectful in my mind to austin even though there was so many things about it that were kind of modern and quirky and um a lot of it was a stylistic choice but i felt as if every single detail about that film had a reason behind it the the colors the acting the lines some of it was coming straight from the book itself and so for me, I don't think it strayed so far from Austin that it was unrecognizable. Um, I think it was very close to the adaptation in, in terms of who is Emma as a character. They took liberties with it, but we still got to the core of it. Watching this Persuasion trailer, there was one point where she calls Captain Wentworth her ex, which right there tells me that this is going to be some sort of modernization of an Austin classic rather than a new version. So I'm just not looking forward to it when I was so excited about it. 
so I'm, I'm trying to still watch it. I, of and course, I'll still watch it. Still enjoy it on some level. Speaking of that, you're going to read Persuasion. Yes, in all of that free time that I have. Act excited. <laughs> no, I think um, in the past when I've tried to read other kind of classic novels, a lot of the time it was for an English class, and so it felt very forced and mm. it was kind of frustrating. That went away a little bit by the time I hit like 18 because some classes I was doing at the time, we did Wuthering Heights. Oh, yeah. And I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that book, um, which was quite new for me in terms of some of the classics. Mm. Um, obviously, Emily Bronte, right? So different. and you know, Time period. Yeah, and... I mean, it's, it's gothic. It's, yeah. You know, I think... That was probably a good entry point for me in terms of the genre as a whole, mm. because with the gothic elements, that was close enough to the things I like, like outside of that, like fantasy and that kind right, of stuff, yeah. that it was interesting to go, oh, okay, I see what they're doing and that kind of thing. I think what what's interesting is that I do like historical fiction that's got more of a military slant to it, which is weird, considering that I should just, like, I do like the time period and I like the way that people talk and stuff. So, like, mm. I don't know. I think in the past I was just reading because I was told to read rather than kind of enjoying a book for the sake of, do you know what I mean? And now you're going to read it because it's your wife's favorite book. So you're being forced to read something yet again. No, no just because, because when, you're, when you're doing an exam on something that's you're being forced yeah. to you need those grades to go to university right um whereas in this case you're saying hey will you read this not you must otherwise we're getting divorced right <laughs> <laughs> um and i've watched so much star wars stuff now that i i really feel like you know you owe me hey you like those shows <laughs> that's true so we were thinking in terms of um the facebook group Jordan's going to start reading Persuasion. We're just going to put up a simple post if anybody else would like to read or has read it and wants to discuss it. Um, and then when the movie comes out, it'll be a place where if you watch the movie, you can comment and say, I liked it. It was terrible, whatever. So we'll put a thread up on the Facebook group, tag it with Persuasion, and everybody can kind of say what they feel and if they liked it or not. Yeah. How long is it? The The book? It's quite short. Yeah, it's a it's a short book. And in terms of, you know, the military, uh, Persuasion is Austin's most militaristic book. Yeah. So yeah, I that'd be you um that. yeah, it, it's it's an interesting look into to how the military affected society at the time. Right. So mm. and and how if you were in the military you could possibly gain ranking in society even yeah. when people grumbled and things so that's one of the reasons i like persuasion because it really shows you how society dealt with different classes and things so you know what would be interesting i've just thought of a really good example of that exact thing in a fantasy book um temeraire which is set in roughly the same time period but in a kind of an alternate version of earth where uh, dragons exist oh interesting um and the main character is a naval naval captain who um defeats a french um frigate or galleon and um when they capture the vessel they realize that there is a dragon egg on board 
Um, so they're like, yes, brilliant, bring it back to Britain. Um, but it hatches, and so the captain has to bond with it because it is a valuable, very valuable resource for the country and the king. Um, and so he has to join the um, air force, effectively, which is a massive fall in social standing. Interesting. Yep. It, I think it's really interesting. Um, and like I said, similar time period, so a lot of the same kinds of things, I'm sure, that you Speak already know about. Speaking of dragons, there is literally a series. I've not read it, but there is a Pride and Prejudice series, I think, where either Mr. Darcy's a dragon or they hatch a dragon egg something to do with pride and prejudice and dragons and it would be really funny if we, <laughs> we read them and saw what we thought that one sounds more like a parody could be <laughs> you never know there's so many different versions of like regency novels it's crazy if you can think it up somebody's done it so hey if you can make money at it um... go for it i mean it's out of copyright isn't it yeah and people want to read the pride and prejudice story over and over and over in a million different ways that they possibly could. So people keep writing it and Hey, get your coin. <laughs> so on to the recap. So because it's been quite a long time since we've all watched episode six, here is the quick recap. It's the wedding day and the Sharmas are engaging in a Haldi ceremony, which is an Indian tradition where turmeric is used before a wedding ceremony as a cleansing procedure. So because turmeric is known for its anti-inflammatory healing, beautification, antiseptic, and purification properties, Haldi is a cleansing process for the bride and groom before they join their lives together. So this tradition is supposed to represent a life of prosperity for a couple and is also supposed to help the couple rid themselves from the evil eye. In some parts of India, similar to the bouquet toss in Western weddings, the new couple will smear unmarried friends as a funny gesture, meaning like, you're next, you're going to be married next. It's apparently meant to symbolize that anyone who touches the paste is next to find a partner soon. So before the wedding, Daphne tries one more time to talk to Anthony. This is exhausting. She's talking to him about coming to his senses and not marrying Edwina, but once again, he's having none of it. And then she basically re replies, we all pity you. Basically, like his worldview and how he's seeing this whole scenario. She's like, the whole family just pities you. You put yourself in this situation at this point. Anywho, so things get underway for the wedding and Kate and Anthony can't stop staring at each other in a really obvious way. It's gotten so much worse than all the episodes before. Edwina finally catches on, apparently at this very opportune moment at the end of the aisle. And then like Julia Roberts in Runaway Bride, she just runs down the aisle, leaving everyone sitting there and wondering what on earth just happened. So immediately the queen is mad about this. This wedding has been ruined. The diamond of the season has been broken. And she employs Violet and Lady Danbury to try and fix the wedding. But this time, neither one of them really know what to do. In a cute side story, while the rest of the world is burning, Eloise runs off to see her new love interest, Theo, to see if he returns her interest in him. He brings her a stack of books that he wants her to read, and it's pretty obvious he likes her back. I'm just going to say that, yeah, a stack of books is my love language, so, and it's your love language too, so anytime you want to 
Oh, you, oh my gosh, you did there. You did buy me a book today, didn't you? you he bought Listeners, me a re- I wish you could see my face right now because I am gobsmacked. <laughs> you know, here she is trying to put me on blast, <laughs> but it's literally over there on the desk. Right he, there, I'm looking at it. He did, he surprised me with a Regency um, fantasy novel and we'll have to read it and then if we like it, we can recommend it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Sorry, moving on. Thank you. I love you. Specifically bought that because it was a mashup of the two genres and it's a female author, which I've been trying to read more of. Good job. Bunch of points. Yay. Yay. So whilst everyone is running around, Kate goes and hides in a closet to avoid everything. Relatable. And Anthony goes to Edwina to try and patch things up. She asks him if he wants to get married or if he wants her. And he tells her that while he doesn't love her, he does understand her, which is just really romantic. Anthony and Kate go back and forth again with their feelings with one another when he finds her in the closet. But the two finally have to face the music with Edwina, who feels completely duped by the entire situation. Now seeing that she is going to have to make a pragmatic decision about marrying Anthony rather than a romantic one, Edwina finally stands up for herself by refusing to marry Anthony and calling out Kate for being such a hypocrite by putting all of her hopes for Anthony on Edwina. At the end of the episode, after all the tension has been building up, Kate and Anthony finally kiss. At the altar where he and Edwina were supposed to get married. And that's uh, that's episode six. Hey, look, sometimes when you love someone, you've just got to kiss them. If that happens to be in the house of God in front of an altar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was the right place, but I mean, I'm glad it's happened. So initial reactions to this episode? Yeah, so it was surprising that they got that far through the whole wedding thing yeah because you know by that point it seems cruel oh truly however they've been lying to themselves as much as they've been lying to edwina and the others and whilst other people saw something happening you know obviously daphne and his mother and stuff they they didn't necessarily do anything wrong Hmm. sort of sort of i mean not I mean, physically, you know, like, by all proprietary standards, you know what I mean? Like, they they didn't actually, technically. Now, you know, mentally they did. Uh, Yeah, mentally they probably did a lot. (laughs) But I (laughs) also... And it isn't fair on on her sister, and that's, that's the cruel part. And that's the part that they should be kind of told off for. Well, and I feel like when they had that discussion, I think it was last episode where he basically says to her like thinking of this logistically and like marrying your sister for life i don't know if i could control myself after we get married and that to me is a very dangerous conversation right there and if he knows that about himself and then he's going to tie himself to her sister for life where they're going to have to be around each other and i know she said oh i'm going back to indian stuff but I mean, what happens when they have a baby and she wants to be there as an aunt? Their mom dies or something and they have to be together again for those. That's how you get mistresses. Not someone's sister. (laughs) You know, I'm sure that there's a historical precedence for that. Uh, Oh my gosh. Isn't it um, Henry VIII? King Henry VIII, he was with both Anne Boleyn and her sister. So there you go. 
I have no idea. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. That, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I, I just, I feel as if that, you know, you're right. Nothing physical happened between the two of them. But that conversation right there, they're fully aware of what they're doing. They know it's wrong at this point. And they also know what they possibly could be like after the wedding. So therefore, it shouldn't, it shouldn't okay. be going ahead. Okay, but hang on, hang on. Let's take a step back. It's wrong from our point of view. But again, we've talked about this before. Yeah. When when you think about their social values and their expectations on sons and daughters, talking about it isn't the same as going and actually doing it. So, you know, when they're kind of like, hey, you know, this is this is a thing, like, should we talk about it? And they're like, no, because, you know, at the end of the day, we need to do what's best for our families. I mean, it's it's a terrible choice from our point of view and from like a human point of view because humans haven't changed that much that the things that we feel today wouldn't be applicable right. that's the good thing about these stories and the drama however in terms of society and how they viewed things he absolutely needed a wife of a particular caliber situation all True. that kind of thing and then same for edwina i feel like I'm over the back and forth at this point. I think in season one, they did a really good job of pacing the episodes well from one to eight of them going back and forth and then getting married and then having problems in their marriage and then coming back together. I think the eight episodes was just right for season one and everything. This this back and forth where they're like, should we, should we not? Should you guys get married? Should you not? Like... Back and forth between him and Kate is just getting exhausting at this point. Like, how many secret let's meet on horseback conversations, let's go in the library can we have before everybody's just tired and we want something to really happen? And so I was glad that everything was out in the open by by episode six. But I don't know that we needed a further two episodes after this to figure the two of them out. So I really thought this season was strong the first half of it kind of goes downhill from here i feel like i'm not as sensitive to the structure and tropes of mm. romance as you are just the same way as you're not for fantasy and science fiction mm. if we if we watch something like you know obi-wan or you know the mandalorian or something and i go ooh, well ooh, you know they've done this you would be like, well, why? And you would just turn turn to me, you'd have no clue. And I think that's something that sometimes we forget. Looking at a show like this, which was one of the most popular shows on the platform, made for a general audience, um, as well as the, the special specialised audience, you've got to remember that they're making it for the lowest common denominator, and those people are just going to enjoy the backwards and forwards they're just like ooh, yes 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 tantalizing yeah, you're, you're probably right i don't know i loved the characters in this season and i loved the storyline it just went a bit a bit haywire at some point so so some of the main moments let's have a chat about how we felt about some of these main moments through this episode um you know if this had been made by british person <laughs> here we go <laughs> um no i mean i think honestly it wasn't too bad thinking about how the british tend to um celebrate weddings in the modern era 
um, seems pretty accurate. <laughs> oh, that you mean? I thought that was that was funny and also a bit sad, where they were showing this really cool ritual that's done um, in India that the Sharmas were doing before the wedding and the women were all bonding and it just looked like this beautiful experience. And then you just watch the men just like drown themselves in alcohol. They were playing billiards as well, right? So, I mean, it's like... Yeah, yes, so the, I the, guess. The, so it's strange because a stag do, which is what we call a bachelor party. Look, Britain's got a huge drinking culture. It's just, it. it's a thing. I don't think we're going to get away from anytime soon as a culture so i think it was it was sad i I, <laughs> I do i do kind of think it's a shame that they didn't try and blend the traditions at all but at the same time it was tradition the men went and did the men things the women did the women things so like i think that it's meant to show that it's supposed to be funny like oh here are these like beautiful traditions well wishes for the couple before they get married that sort of thing and then the men are just drinking i think it was meant to be funny but it's also kind of a, a nod to like mm, british people like don't really have cool traditions like that or like you know this sort of thing means this or i, I don't i don't, I don't know. know if it was supposed to be funny if anything that's a critique of yeah of the empire really yeah. right yeah. like hey, let's go to this other country and conquer it and take over and impart our culture or lack thereof on theirs. And then when there's a chance for the British to take part in a marriage and a wedding ceremony, um, tradition, sorry, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> and they just like completely ignore it and they don't have a clue that it happened. Yeah. That's so sad. That that was one of the parts that I was I was like, because when I was I was reading up about it, and a lot of times, obviously, both sides will do it. And they will also incorporate it sometimes, I think, in the, the marriage ceremony itself as well. Okay. And so in a lot of ways, yeah, it's a, it's a bit sad because it it's just showing that she's doing it. Maybe he knows nothing about her culture or hasn't really asked. Of course he doesn't. Um, Look at him. So <laughs> So, you know, that part is a bit sad to me where it's like uh, those um, those parts were so cool to be incorporated in and kind of different tidbits about them coming over to the UK and, and having to adjust and, and everything. I thought that was really neat, but it it would have been cool to, to see that it was more incorporated in the in the wedding instead of just she did it beforehand and he drank. So, yeah. So how did we feel about how... Edwina handled finding out about Kate and Anthony. I have mixed feelings. I feel like on the one hand, she was completely justified by all of it. But I was really surprised that she just didn't straight up go, right, well, we're not going to get married. Like, she did take a while to think about it. And if I was in that situation, I would have been like, absolutely not. There's a thousand other men in the sea. I am eligible and I've got a bright future ahead of me and forget this. And I I would 100% walk away immediately and I wouldn't even take a second's moment to think about it because all of those things that are wrapped up, not, not only in their betrayal and then not saying things to her, but all that's wrapped up in someone close to you, bros before hoes type thing. We're like, that's her sister. If someone close to me, a friend or a sibling, was that into someone that I was getting ready to spend my entire life with, I would immediately walk away and not have a second moment 
thought about it. So I find it a bit strange that she kind of went a bit back and forth between the two of them and was like, should we do this? And and her and Anthony, where she was trying to decide what to do, I'm like, girl, cut your losses. This is messy and you could have such a bright future. Again, a very modern way of thinking of it. Fine. But I see what <laughs> I see what you mean. For me, it wasn't necessarily that so much as it was everything about how she responded to it felt very childish oh really i didn't feel that way yeah and i know that it was justified that she was angry but it still felt like a bit of a tantrum okay interesting because instead of being angry and be like oh man why have you done this like it's really embarrassing you've shown me up in front of the queen of all people Mm. um it was more just like "Ah, you've stolen the man i'm in love with because maybe it was a side effect of the way that the build-up w- was where we see the build-up between Kate and Anthony so much more clearly than Edwina and Anthony. So, like you said, there's less of a connection there. So um, it feels less justified to you yeah. that she would be that angry. Okay. Or, or, or not angry, but like upset, mm. you know? And he's obviously not because he's got no feelings for her. Yeah. He's just like, oops, let's fix this. <laughs> you know like, such a man thing it, it, it's i think it's hard because obviously they did a bad thing nobody's the villain of their own story and yeah and they both fell victim to that that's totally true um and we kind of we kind of see that in bits where we've not talked about it a lot but where lady danbury takes kate to the side before the wedding and she's like the wheels are in motion here what are you going to do? Try and stop it? Like, wh- what are you doing? Basically... Well, look, she didn't try, but they just had to look at each other. It was just too much to resist. I think that's ridiculous as well, actually. You know... <laughs> Feels out of character for Lady Danbury for me. I was like, hmm. I-, I was really hoping she would be the one to be like, look, they're they're engaged. And once they walk down the aisle, that's it. So... If you want your man, you got to go get him. But she didn't. It was very opposite of what I was expecting. It was very much well, like... Wasn't that because Lady Danbury knew about the whole grandparent thing? Dang it, I don't remember. Maybe, yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I thought that... Yeah, I, thought I think that she, she did. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's why she was saying to Kate, you need to be careful because yeah. if you don't, you know, your family's fortunes ruined, blah, 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 blah. That's true. I didn't think about that. So that moment between Violet and Lady Danbury where they just break out in laughter after the the failed wedding when the queen is like, you're going to fix this. And I thought that was such a fun moment because it's so indicative of hard moments in life or tragic moments in life and something happening where it just it just breaks and everybody starts laughing because you're in this situation that you never thought you'd be in, and now you have to deal with it. I, I feel like as hard as life can be sometimes, those sorts of moments are why it feels great to be alive, you know? I think in in those moments, you're like, this is ridiculous. I've done this dumb thing in the middle of this tragic situation. And it bonds you together, and it makes you realize that yes things are hard but we're going to get through things and I thought that was just a sweet moment between the two of them because they're both the types of women that are used to fixing things you know Violet has all these children that she's she's got to 
care for and get married off and sort out. And Lady Danbury has stood on her own two feet in society for so long. They're fixers. They're people who know how to get stuff stuff done because they've been put in situations in life where they've not had to have a choice. And so these are two strong women who normally are like, okay, we could do this and we could sort them getting out together this way or like, what if we just put them down the aisle again or whatever? And they've realized none of those options are going to work now. So we're just going to laugh. And this is this is a di- ridiculous situation that we're in and we're just going to have to get through it. And I thought that was really fun. Yeah, I think that's a good take on it. Um, like those absurd moments that you just laugh at because it's like, well, what else do I do? <laughs> that was an enjoyable moment to me. But there was a, a bunch of stuff in this episode that I was like not overly crazy about. I also wasn't so crazy about their first kiss being at the altar like that. They literally like smashed into each other. I remember you saying something about it. At they the just time. smacked into each other. There's been a lot of that on TV lately where you kind of look at them and go, what? How, have you ever kissed anybody before? Right? That particular kiss, it felt... You know what bothered me? You know what it probably was? She was wearing those dumb gloves. She was wearing gloves while they were making out, and I could not. Wouldn't that feel weird to you? You'd feel like you were being kissed by a sock puppet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would hate it, but that's, you know, that's I don't know. It was just a weird choice out of all the places where the two of them have been building up to kiss, 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 kiss. Right then, right after the wedding... Can you imagine right. the priest walking the, in? Yeah. Like, the heart's sinning. You know, it would be, know it would be the most awkward thing. It really would. So, yeah, I was So why not, like, in the closet? I That's what I, I really thought it was going to happen in the closet. And that, excuse me, but that would have been hot, you know? It would have. I'm just saying. Why are you nodding? It's true. It would have been so much, like, more steamy than... Oh, steamy. With her gloves on at the front of the altar. I don't know. Here's some cool things, though, um, that I learned in a TikTok. Do I have TikTok? No. Do I occasionally go on YouTube that shows clips of TikTok because I'm 100 years old? Yes. Anyways, I learned in a TikTok that there is possibly meaning behind the different shades of purple that Kate wears. So Kate's changing purple dresses, they go muted or bold depending on where she is in the story. So the costume designer wanted to highlight lilac because it symbolizes love. So both Daphne and Violet wear it often in different key moments. Daphne wore it a lot in season one. So in terms of Kate in the Paul Mall episode, she's in this darker purple because she's starting to see her true feelings for Anthony. She's starting to be more confident around him. For the wedding, it's a very muted purple because she's sad and because she's thinking maybe not they're not going to be able to be together. So it's like it's it's a symbolism for this distancing between the two of them. And then when they finally get together at the end of that last episode where they're all hanging out again she's in this really deep deep purple dress because now she's in a committed relationship and she's confident with the two of them so i just thought that was really cool i Mm. thought there could be some symbolization with the dresses when we first watched it but i couldn't really pick out what it was i was like what is going on with all these different colors and and bridgerton's colorful anyways with all these different dresses but i definitely could see that i think that's really cool that the the designer thought of those kinds of details 
I mean, it's interesting that they chose purple as well. I was actually reading about this just the other day um, by happenstance, but, you know, purple is a really strange colour. Depending on, apparently, don't know how true this is, but depending on where in the English-speaking world you're from, you'll call different things different names, depending on, like, how you feel about the colour. Really? Yeah. So when you think about the spectrum of light, on the one end, you've got, the reds, which are the longer wavelengths, microwaves, infrared, red, yeah? And then as you move through the visible spectrum, you get higher and higher frequency light, which gets up to the blues, then goes into your ultraviolet and your really short wavelength stuff up there. Thinking about that spectrum, you can't really combine the two, right? Red and blue are at different ends, and then violet is beyond it ultraviolet so depending apparently on on your views of the color you'll call it purple or you'll call it violet and to some people purple isn't really a color because <laughs> it's not it's not a light violet is but purple isn't interesting so because when you obviously how do you make purple i don't know oh dear well it's <laughs> it's, it's red and blue red and blue oh duh i knew that Right. Pretend like I knew that, okay? Okay. So you, you put red and blue together, and that's that's for pigments, that's for paint, right. right? But then it's the same thing for light. You can actually put the red and blue lights together and get purple. Now, on a on a, a monitor, on a, a computer screen, it's that simple because you've got red and blue. But then on inks, that's actually slightly different because they use magenta, which is obviously quite a pinky red type of purpley colour. Anyway, it's just, it's one of those really interesting things because obviously with the... Um, colors of the rainbow it's got indigo and is violet in the rainbow i don't remember now i don't know anyway some people just say purple isn't a color <laughs> um apparently you mean like different societies yeah i mean just different parts of the english-speaking world was what the article was talking about but um because obviously so different languages have, have got different perceptions of color anyway this is actually a well-known thing you can study depending on the words that a language has for color depends on the people of that um culture and their perception of color mm. there are certain tribes in africa who do not differentiate between different shades of oh man i think it's blue and i think russia a russian sorry has two separate words one for light blue and one for dark blue and so they can differentiate different blues better than someone who just says blue for example um so yeah they've done tests where you get you get like nine different boxes up on a screen one of which is a slightly different shade of green and you know these tribes people that don't have a word for green can't see the difference they they just see it all as one color because to them there's there is no difference you know so purple because of these kind of properties of it in the past in rome it was the color of the emperor because mm. it was such a rare dye um to make clothes of purple was really difficult and didn't it eventually become a, a color for royalty well yeah that's for british that's, royalty oh i'm not sure for british royalty but it it was from rome with the emperors then it became the holy roman empire and which was obviously more like modern day germany and then the byzantine empire byzantine purple is just really associated with the byzantines um, which is then became ottoman empire turkey it's interesting what we ascribe meaning to. I didn't know that there was the meaning of love behind purple and what society that connects 
connects to that would be really interesting to know. Yeah. Um, so color, yeah, it's... color theory is one of those things that is is really kind of strange because you, you just pick those things up naturally. Yeah, you don't even you don't even know. But I, I think it's it's a real talent when these costume designers because I've I like watching interviews with costume designers and why they make the decisions of the way they taper the clothes and what colors they use and things. And it's a real talent for those people to really know what they're doing with the clothes to say, look, we wanted it at this cut because we wanted to show that she was bold or she was being independent or we wanted to show these muted colors because she was going through a depression or there's so many meanings behind the colors that they put on people and what it's trying to say about their personalities and what it's connected to and what it means and so just really that was really interesting to find out about that because I was sure that that probably was a thing but we hadn't really heard that sort of thing from the costume designer so um, that was just kind of an, an interesting tidbit to learn about how color can be used in a show like this so mm. and obviously that's part of the anachronisms of Bridgerton isn't it mm. because you know they didn't have access to all of those colors and those dyes to make the dresses that way but it is part of the benefit of making a more fantastical version of the regency period you can have all these bright colors in the world and they can symbolize different things at different stages in life i you know what i think this is something that i think will be in the next season the clothes that penelope will wear in this third season they will change throughout the season because i think the season with Penelope and Colin will be such a transformative season for her that the clothing that she wears, the colors that she wears, the hair, the way she does her hair, they will all be symbolic of a transformative experience for her. And it's going to oh, be yeah. really interesting to see how the, the director takes that. So moving on to a kind of quick history moment here, the history of Wisteria. So if you don't know what hysteria... Hysteria... I'm hysteria about wisteria if you don't know what wisteria is um it's that really pretty purple plant that they show in front of the bridgerton's house um it's now kind of become symbolic you see it in all the the marketing and it's it's this really pretty again purple color and people are now wanting to put it all over their houses this is a new trend apparently the royal Horticultural Society has reported that there is a massive rise in people looking to put these flowers all over their homes. They're calling this what I just said. Uh, they're calling it Wisteria Hysteria, which is really funny. So some quick facts about Wisteria. Wisteria is native to China, Korea, and Japan. The first Wisteria was brought to Europe in 1816 by an Englishman. He brought some seedlings of what was called blue vine, or I'm going to say Tizen, maybe. Tizen? Do you think it's Tizen? No, because it's not an X. Okay. Tizen? Tizen, maybe? So sorry. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it's, you know, transliteration into our alphabet is never good. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so anyways, the, in English, that was called blue vine. And he brought it back to England after seeing a pergola covered with wisteria in a garden of a rich Chinese dealer. Later, the botanist Thomas Nuttall named the plant wisteria in honor of, doc in honor of Dr. Casper Wistar, an American physician who was an early advocate of vaccines. 
Wisteria is a symbol of longevity, endurance, and wisdom, and can live for more than a hundred years. It can be associated with the search of new knowledge because of how it kind of grows and grows. It twists and climbs and stuff. And so that's just kind of a fun little tidbit on Wisteria here. So apparently, yeah, apparently um, a lot of the country houses here, I've seen a couple of the country houses in the marketing and things. Part of my, my research for my PhD is, is in some of these really cool large houses we call them country houses in the uk these mansions over here and um a lot of the marketing you've seen a, a lot of the the houses now they're starting to put this wisteria up because obviously they're they're wanting people to come visit and if if that kind of twigs people's minds like ooh, that kind of looks like the bridgerton house i could uh i could see them um using that to their advantage so hey yeah it's it's clearly a a popular and pretty plant. I don't think we could manage putting it up here. No, we can't even <laughs> keep succulents alive. No. Don't shame me, okay? I'm still mourning that plant. It it literally, <sighs> like, it, at the base of these leaves of this succulent, it grew rotten and moldy you and snapped. Don't shame me. I picked it up and every single leaf just fell off. It was very oh, sad. Poor plant. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it wasn't necessarily your fault. We're just we're bad with plants. So, our dog's still alive, though. Oh, good. I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad that me saying we're bad with plants makes you go, oh, our dog's still alive. I'm just though. saying we can keep something alive, okay? <laughs> okay. So, wrapping up the episode here. Um, because we've been talking for about an hour. We did mention earlier that one of my kind of favorite aspects of this time period is the kind of the military aspect. It was it was a growing and kind of dynamic institution in Britain at the time. Um, so we started watching recently um, Sharp with uh, Sean Bean. It is on a Britbox if I am not mistaken. And it was one of those things that when I was younger, I thought Sharp went on for like episode after episode after episode. It's actually just basically a miniseries. Yeah, it's a series of miniseries, like a series of movies, basically. Yeah, like almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really strange, but it, but they're good. Um, so Sharp follows uh, Sean Bean as he is promoted through the rifles in the British Army in the Napoleonic Wars based mostly in kind of Spain and France, obviously. So, but yeah, interesting kind of thing. If you want to kind of have a look at what's going on um, in the wars of the kind of time period, share it with a partner who's less interested in, say, the romance aspect, you might be able to rope them in with the war. It's I, one of those things where when you watch it, it's you go, oh, uh, we can see when this was made. Um, there's a lot of crunchy electric guitar over the oh, top yes. of these men marching into battle in their um, red or green uniforms. The green was for the rifles. Um, so, yeah, just kind of really strange decisions that I don't think they would make today. Um, but iconic, really. And there's a lot of people that are, if you're a Regency fan, you're used to watching kind of these 90s episodes and things. So I think... What, with electric guitar over the top? <laughs> no, not that bad. 
Sharp had a really long run there from like the, I think the late 80s all the way to the 2000s. So several episodes of it, we, we've we really been enjoying it. And like Jordan said, it's a show where if you want to see what was kind of going on on the war front, because Persuasion and Sanditon and stuff, they all hint at the war and how it affected the UK back at home. This is a really good example of what was it like to go out on the battlefield during the Regency era. Um, what would it have been like if you were an officer's wife and traveling with a group of soldiers? We see that in episodes of Sharp. So it's just kind of a cool like flip side of that history where you see it up close and and personal. And so yeah, if you have if you have a partner that doesn't really want to watch the romancy side. Sharp's a good option. Although there is elements of romance that I have complained about and I won't go into now, but I will say this very small thing of it's very interesting how men write romance compared to women. <laughs> there will be you will see a difference. There will be romance in this. It's a it's a bit different and the build up <laughs> is not there, but it's it's still an enjoyable series and we definitely recommend trying it out. And bonus, he doesn't die. Spoilers. No, I know. It it is one of those strange ones where Sean Bean obviously has that reputation of dying in literally everything that he um, portrays, but uh, not in Sharp. Yeah, so definitely try it out. Well, we've come to the end. Like Anthony and Edwina's marriage, this episode has ended. What? (laughs) What? Can you tell that we didn't write this bit down? No. Just completely <laughs> ad-libbing now. This is the end of the episode. Thank you so I much. I think they know that. You know, you know when they, they listen to the episode, there's, there's a little bar that tells them how long the episode is. That's really close this to the end, the end right now. Thank you so much for listening. Join the Facebook group. Thank you for not abandoning us. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.